following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Um, There really is nothing, I don't think, uh, greater... More, uh, more worth celebrating. No, no news uh, that we more eagerly want to share with somebody than when, when we have a baby, right? It is, it is, for me, becoming a thing uh, in my own life that happened farther and farther ago. Uh, but I still remember that day when uh, our first child was born. All of our kids were born, and it's news you want to share, right? And uh, I love this section of Luke. And you really get this picture of God as a father who has sent his son into the world who just can't wait to share this news, right? It is news worth sharing. And he's going to go find whoever's awake at whatever time of night it was. And he's going to tell them the good news about the birth of Jesus. And I want to walk through the story um, as Grace shared uh, the last Sunday of the year. Holy moly, a whole year has gone by and we're about to start a whole nother year, right? And it is a good time to stop and reflect and, uh, and maybe the story can help us think through some ways to evaluate our last year and think about as we start into a new year, how we can um, really make the most of it, set some goals for our life. Um, so let's walk through the story. Uh, begins uh, with the shepherds, and the shepherds have a word to act on. All right, so let's uh, let's review their part a little bit. Uh, we know, you know, the shepherds are out in the fields at night. Uh, the the bad news in that is that uh, scholars tell us that pretty much in Israel uh, to this day, from antiquity, the time when the shepherds would have been out in the fields guarding their flocks would have been sometime between March and November. So we don't know when exactly Jesus was born, but it most likely was not December. Uh, but it's still a great time to celebrate. And because God didn't give us a date, we can pick whatever day we want. Um, they're out in, in the fields, and they're, they're tending their sheep. They're camped out at night, uh, grazing the sheep in their spring and summer pasture. Um, the shepherds were uh, not high up on the social ladder. Okay, um, they they had a certain air about them, which is true of all people who tend to animals, right? They had the air of outdoors and of other things that come along with taking care of animals. Now I don't know, and we don't really know a lot. We know some things about the shepherds in, in this time period, but um, I know what cowboys are like, and I. Grew up in rural Colorado. My first church was a very rural farming community full of people who took care of animals, right? And I don't know if the shepherds were anything like modern-day Colorado cowboys, but I think they were, right? They're not people who are exceptionally well-educated often, right? And especially in this day, they, they were, the shepherds probably had very little formal education. Maybe they couldn't read and write, um, they're not a group known for their great spirituality. You know, nobody was flocking to the shepherds, so to speak, to hear them teach the Bible, right? 
they were not known for that, right? They were known for, well, living outdoors, camping. Uh, their, their, their life was hard. Uh, when, when I lived in Colorado and the first church I pastored, a lot of cattle ranchers there, and this one old guy, Leroy, 80 years old, had never heard the gospel, never been in a church in his life. And at 80 years old, he starts coming to our church, and he would come, and this guy was just rough. I mean, you could just, his skin was leather. He'd spent his life outdoors. He'd spent many long nights in the cold uh, bringing calves and, and sheep into the world. Um, he was tough. And he'd come to church, and there was literally, like, tobacco stains and tobacco juice running down his chin. And he was mostly unshaved. And every other word was a cuss word, even in church, because he just didn't have any other vocabulary, right? <clears throat> And um, he, cool story, he came to Christ and was very inwardly soft, but outwardly hard, right? Well, I kind of picture the shepherds being like that. Hard guys, hard life, right? Um, and it's amazing that God picks this group to, to unveil this incredible news. He does not go to the mayor of the town. He does not go to the city's leading citizens. He doesn't go to the priest or the religious people. He doesn't show up, you know, in the in the uh, in the synagogue, right? He goes to these very common real life people, and we'll see in a minute why. But it, it confirms what Jesus taught and what Luke's already told us that the gospel, that the good news, is for the poor in spirit, for those who don't see themselves as on the top rung of society but who really occupy even the lowest rungs. It's not that Jesus didn't come for all levels, but he didn't come just for the top. Right? He came and he started at the bottom and he cares about the lowest rungs of society. Good news for you is that means you're, you, know, you have a chance. <laughs> Wherever you're on the ladder, I'm not saying you're on the bottom, maybe it's a rung up, I don't know, maybe two. Maybe you are towards the top. It doesn't matter. Uh, God's gospel, his good news is for everyone, for everyone, the poorest, the lowliest, the most lost, the most unlikely. And and in Jewish culture, the shepherds really would have been among among the most unlikely to receive an angelic visitation. But that's where the angels go. Uh, And it says that, uh, that that the angels of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, I've titled this point, The Evangel. And uh, in this, we can kind of get the meaning of this in English, but it's even more so in Greek. Uh, an angel comes from the Greek word angelos, right? Uh, and it simply means a messenger, Right? It's somebody who's delivering a message. And, of course, these heavenly messengers come with an incredible message from the very throne of God. Um, the Greek word for the gospel, the good news, is euangelos, or euangelion, right? Evangelism. That's where we get evangelism from. The good news. Okay? It is the evangel. Uh, and Luke plays on those words in this passage. The angel comes and he brings them good news. Uh, and this is good news that will be a source of great joy for all the people. Um, so they get this, and you can picture this. We know it's night. It says they're out in their flocks and you know, guarding their sheep at night. They probably have the, the sheep uh, somehow in kind of an enclosure or pen, and they're 
guarding them from predators, from thieves. Um, and they're up. It's, it's dark. It's night. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up. And, you know, in, the, in all of our nat- nativity scenes, the angel's kind of hovering, floating in the air, right? Usually hanging from a string, right? Well, there, there's, some, there's some basis for that because the word that's used has the idea that he, he was above them, right? So he doesn't show up in their midst. He's kind of apparently suspended. doesn't exactly say that, but the idea is that he comes from above. And uh, on top of that, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Um, the glory of God is God's visible manifest presence. Right? So the angel is, is a divine messenger. It's not God himself. It's a messenger who's come from the throne of God. But he is accompanied by the very presence of God. And the images uh, that's often captured in our postcards and our Christmas cards or nativities is, is an accurate one in that it's, it's this picture of light shining in the darkness. Right? The good news breaks into the darkness of this world with a, bl- a blaze of light. Uh, and, and that light is God's visible presence. So even though God has sent a messenger, God accompanies them, the, 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 the angel, and he surrounds them with his glorious presence. Now for shepherds, this has got to be not your everyday experience, right? Uh, for me, this would not be an everyday experience. And they are understandably terrified uh, but the angel assures them, and throughout this uh, first two chapters of Luke, this happens, this is kind of a regular thing, right? The angel shows up, people freak out. Ah! Uh, the angel says, hey, don't worry, chill. I'm here to bring you good news. And the angel gives his message. Uh, and the message really is, uh, it is a gospel message. Um, it is a message of God's coming salvation. It is good news. And it's good news that Luke says will be, uh, that the angel says will be a source of great joy for all people. And, and again, the shepherds are confirmation that this gospel is for everybody, for everybody. Right? Um, and, and then the, the angel gives his message. He explains what this good news is. And it's a very simple message. He says, um, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Uh, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, This message comes in three parts. Uh, first is the actual message itself. Secondly, there's a sign that comes with it. And thirdly, uh, the, the heavenly hosts show up and they give some commentary to the message. So let's look at these three parts real quickly. First, um, a, a message is given, right? And it's significant that the, the angel says, unto you is born a child. Uh, kind of a strange phrase because normally we think of a child being born to its mother. Uh, but... But this child is not born just to Mary or to this family, but this child is born, he says, to you. This child is God's special gift sent from heaven to you, to the shepherds. And we uh, are to identify with the shepherds, right? We're to put ourselves in their shoes. And Jesus was born not just for them, but he was born for you and me, right? He came to the world 
sent to God for us. And he was sent specifically, it says, to be a Savior. A Savior. Um, We don't really know what the shepherds thought that meant. Uh, Certainly, they probably didn't really grasp all that it meant for Jesus to be a Savior. Um, But I think it means this. Uh, What did Jesus save from? Well, I think he saved everybody from everything that they needed saving from, right? What do you need saving from today? What in your life needs a rescuing touch from God? Uh, Jesus came to be Savior in every sense of the word, to redeem. Of course, we know it meant he came ultimately to give his life as a sacrifice for sin, that he would purchase for us forgiveness He would cleanse us and make us right with God. But I believe his salvation goes far beyond that. He came as a rescuer. Uh, The reason I believe that is as you look through the Old Testament, I love the passage we read from Chronicles this morning. You read through the Old Testament, and how does God save his people through the Old Testament? Well, he saves them from every kind of trouble and difficulty they find themselves in, right? Whether it's economic hardship, uh, the attack of their enemies, physical uh, sickness, and even danger of death. Over and over we see God rescuing, saving people who are in need of help. And Jesus comes as the ultimate Savior. And I'm sure for each of the shepherds, that meant something unique to them, right? Uh, As they thought about their own life and what salvation would mean to them personally. And of course, the basis of it all is what Christ did on the cross But its consequences or its results are far and broad in our life. Uh, This past year, as we reflect back on this past year, what has Jesus done to save you? And, you know, oftentimes we think, well, you know, the gospel is about Jesus saving me from my sin, and I prayed to receive Christ when I was four years old, and I got saved then, and I haven't needed saving since. Well, That's probably not true at many levels, right? At many levels. The truth is, I don't know about you, but for me, I need saving often, often, right? I need that saving work in my life continually. And ultimately, God's salvation is a process that is never finished and final until the last day of judgment. And we uh, look forward to him completing the work of salvation in our life. Uh, As you reflect over this past year, one of the most important things we can do is reflect on the ways that Jesus has been a Savior in our life. Uh, From our own foolish decisions, from temptations that would lure us to destruction, from uh, the difficult circumstances we face, whether it's financially or physically or emotionally. God is, Jesus came to be our Savior. Um, the second part of his the title, though, the, the, and it's the only time in the Gospels that these three words occur together in uh, like this. Savior. Secondly, he is Christ the Lord. Uh, he is Christ is, is the Greek title for Messiah. Right? He is Messiah. Uh, the, the shepherds would have had some understanding of what that meant. Uh, Messiah was the promised one that they all were looking forward to who would be also a redeemer and a rescuer. Uh, Certainly the Messiah had connections, uh, not with everybody, but it was hinted at 
that he would sit on the throne of David, that he would be a king and a ruler. Um, the, the third time, so he's Savior, he's Messiah, he is Lord. If Messiah was not identified as being a, a royal role of a king, certainly the title Lord was. Lord is a majestic royal title of a sovereign Lord, a sovereign king. Right? So, so here Jesus is portrayed in these roles as a Savior, as, as the Messiah, and as, as Lord, as King, who would come and who's, as Luke has already said, who's, uh, whose reign will last forever. Of course, again, the, the, the shepherds don't, don't necessarily put all this together, but those are three weighty words for them. Uh, it's too easy for us to read, uh, unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Boom, move on. Okay? Those words would have had more impact for those shepherds. Right? A Savior, Messiah, Lord. And of course, for us, we can add to that Lord, not only was He a human authority, but He truly was divine authority. That He was God incarnate. God come to earth. Uh, certainly that's something the shepherds would, would not have grasped. Uh, the disciples after three years still didn't quite get that, right? But, but we get that, that Jesus is more than just a man. He is sent from God. So that, that's the message. Uh, those three simple words, to you is born a Savior, a Messiah, and a King. Uh, along with that message comes uh, a sign. Now, uh, throughout the first two chapters of Luke, this has been the pattern. The angel comes. People freak out. They say, don't be afraid. They give a message and they give a sign. Uh, the shepherds uh, don't get cheated on the deal. They get the sign. And they're not asking for it. And, you know, if I'm a shepherd and I'm out in the, in, out in the fields and, uh, you know, God shows up and there's an angel and there's a blazing light and there's this message, I don't really need a sign, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'm in, right? But... Uh, in, in God's grace, He gives them a confirmation, a sign that will validate they're not crazy, right? That they're not just, you know, got a bad batch of wine or something. That uh, this is truth. And so there's a, con- a confirming sign. He says, um, you will f- this is the sign. You will find a baby uh, wrapped in, in the clothes of a newborn and lying in a manger. Uh, we talked about la- last week the significance of this. And and that would be a sign, uh, Christ, the Savior, Messiah. But he's, he's sleeping in a stable. He's in a feed trough for animals. Um, th- this would ring with the shepherds, you know. It's like, hey, we know Bethlehem. We know, we know where he is, right? They know where the animals are kept. They know where the animals would have been fed. This helps narrow down the search for them. They don't have to search through the whole city. They know where the animals stay. So it makes their search for Jesus much easier. And uh, the Bible doesn't say this, and I don't know if it's true. Um, but you wonder if that's one of the reasons Jesus is born in a stable. Uh, had, you know, had the mayor opened up his home and said, oh, the poor woman looks you know, about to have a baby. Come to the biggest house and let's, let's have Jesus be born in a fitting place. A place like that would have been quite inaccessible to shepherds, right? Uh, Jesus comes to a place that was fully accessible to guys like this, right? Where they would have no problem and they would not be in the least uncomfortable finding Jesus sleeping in the manger. Um, so they get the, the sign. 
And then finally, they, they get uh, a heavenly commentary. Um, angel standing there, all of a sudden, it says, the hosts of heaven appear suddenly. Um, we, w- what is a heavenly host? Well, we tend to think of it as being more angels. However, a heavenly host just means the great company of heaven. Uh, who were they? Was it just angels? Was it other spirit beings? Was it some of the patriarchs showing up? Um, I'm thinking Abraham would have would have loved to have been there for this one. Like this is my like infinitely great grandson here, who's the Messiah, right? David. I'm thinking, you know, he would have loved to have been there for this. We don't know. It just says this representative group of heaven shows up, and uh, they. Uh, give glory to God and praise Him. Uh, and their praise actually is further commentary on this good news. Um, first of all, they say glory to God in the highest. Uh, this description describes God as being the supreme being who is above all. Right? He is the highest God. There is no other being in all of created and uncreated world that is higher. It's the supreme the God, right? The highest God. Uh, glory to Him. Um, but if the focus is not heaven. The focus is actually earth. And they say, uh, peace on earth with whom He is pleased. With those who, with whom God is pleased. Uh, the focus here is, 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 is not heaven, but it's on what God is doing here on earth. And uh, he des- the, the host describes it as peace on earth. Makes great for postcards and, and great pictures, which, by the way, thanks to Kennedy and Marie who painted these lovely pictures. I meant to say this several weeks ago. Uh, you need to, if you haven't yet, you need to go look up close at the pictures because in several of them there are cool symbols uh, that you can't see from a distance. So take the time to come up and look at uh, the smaller pictures that tell some great stories, right, about who Jesus is. And um, the message is one of God coming into the world to bring peace. Uh, what what is meant by that? What is uh, what is the peace on earth? Well, it really is a is a snapshot of of the salvation that brings it, that Jesus brings. Uh, peace simply means everything becomes rightly related. Everything is restored to a place of its original design and and intent. Um, Jesus comes to bring, and and the peace, the word in Hebrew would have been, of course, been shalom. Jesus comes to restore all things to their right order and relationship. Um, For us, of course, that means um, our broken relationship with God is mended. Through Christ and through his sacrifice, we have peace with God. Uh, Ephesians uh, says God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ, right? He's making peace. But it has not only to do with our spiritual and our spirit being made right with God, but ultimately Jesus comes to set all things in the world right and at peace. Uh, as Ryan prayed this morning, uh, Thailand is, is not a place where there is political peace and rest. In much of the world, there is political unrest. There is no peace. And Jesus comes to restore peace to the world uh, in, in due time. Um, if, if, 
if you can remember back to when you first, well, before you were a believer, uh, before you knew Christ, was there ever a time in your life where you could really describe it as being a time of peace? And when I think back to my time before Christ, my life was not peace, right? There was huge inner turmoil and pain, right? And Jesus comes, his salvation comes, and he gives us inward peace. I wish I could say that that peace has always been there, and it kind of goes up and down, right? And um, sin, temptation, promises us joy. And that's what makes sin tempting, right? There's a sense if I, if I do this thing, this will bring to me some level of happiness and joy that I must somehow be missing out with God. And that's what tempts us. I'm going to get something out of this that's going to bring value and joy to my life. And so we are tempted and we are lured to go experience and do things that God has said are off limits for us. And time after time, what happens when we go down that path? Do we really experience joy? Well, no, right? We get a a brief moment of perhaps pleasure, of pseudo-joy, but always what follows is peace flies away, right? And there is great unrest in our soul. Um, David, you know, in his Psalms, talks about being eaten up inside by sin. Jesus comes to bring peace. Um, and thus, uh, this message really is a gospel message. The angels lay out before the shepherds in these few short words the good news of why Jesus came. Not in great detail. They don't see the cross. They don't see the empty tomb. But it's there. A Savior has come who's come to bring peace. Um, well, the, uh, the angels disappear. Uh, the, the night returns to its calm, dark state. But the, the, the shepherds are changed, right? Um, and unlike Zechariah, the shepherds really follow the path of Mary And they respond in faith. And they respond by acting on what they have heard. And that's why I call this point a word to act on. Uh, They've just been told a Savior has been born to you. They've been given the place where he's born. Um, They have two options. One is to go, well, you know, that was nice. Um, Gee, I think I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed now. Or act on what they've heard. Well, of course, the shepherds do just that. They act on what they have heard. They say, let's go see this thing that has happened, uh, which the Lord has made known to us. And they go out searching for Jesus. Um, And that's the nature of faith. Faith is not simply believing something to be true. It's being so gripped by that truth that we must act on it. And and the, 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 the shepherds become some of the first disciples who who believe what they have heard. Uh, Again, how could you not, right? Angels. But Zechariah didn't. Uh, Same angels appeared to him, and he doubted what he heard. The shepherds do not doubt. They instantly go, let's go see this thing which God has revealed to us. And so they set out and take action upon what they have heard. so the shepherds uh, rush off. Um, we don't know what happens to the sheep. Hopefully they're okay. They don't care at this point, right? They want to see the Savior who is born. Um, 
And as they go and as they begin searching for Jesus, uh, second point in my me- is that they have a message to proclaim. Right? So they go searching for Jesus. They, they, they know where to look. They hunt around the stables that they know of. They find Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And, and there it is, this little baby, brand newborn, wrapped up, sleeping in this food, feed trough, right? Just exactly as the angel has said. And it, for them, is a confirming proof they weren't crazy and that God had revealed himself to them. Um, one, of the, one of the great things about the shepherds is that, uh, you know, they have this encounter where the very glory of God shows up for them. Um, but that is not enough for them, Right? Once they've tasted the glory and presence of God, they go to find more. And they, in so doing, find God incarnate, right? Jesus in the crib. In that sense, God is not at all like candy, okay? Not that any of us thought he was, but let me explain my analogy. Uh, For me, growing up as a kid, Christmas was, was one of the funnest times of the year because you got candy, which for me was really one of the greatest and still is probably one of the greatest treasures of this earthly existence, especially chocolate, right? Nothing like candy. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, we didn't have unlimited supplies of candy. My parents wisely didn't give me a lot of money to go buy candy. And so when I would get candy, I would treasure it. And, uh, you know, I would get my little stocking full of candy and I would store it in my most secret special hideaway place where it would stay for the whole year. And I ultimately would actually hardly ever eat any of it because I was afraid that if I ate it all, it would be gone and I wouldn't have any. I don't know where the logic is in that because I didn't eat it anyway. <laughs> that was kind of my weird personality. Right? Well, God's not like that, Right? We don't ever have to fear that if we experience something of God's presence and we draw into him and, and he, we, we encounter him, that uh, we, we've got to store it away because it's going to run out. Right? God will never run out. He is an infinite supply, and he wants to overwhelm us with his presence. Right? So uh, the shepherds here are a great model of what we should be doing every day. We should be seeking uh, an encounter with God. We should be seeking His presence daily, right? Um, now, granted, uh, the, the shepherds probably didn't have another day like this in their whole life where, you know, like angels and the glory of God and like singing hosts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but after they had this encounter and after they had met Christ and after they had had this day where they knew God had come to them, do you think they were ever like they were before? I don't think so. I think these guys were changed. I think every day of their life from then on out, they were looking for an encounter with the Father. And, uh, you know, fast forward to the book of Acts. Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And for us, this is an inheritance of ours, that we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has not only come to earth, but now through the Holy Spirit and through the work of Christ, He has come and resides continually in us. We have continual access to God's presence. Uh, Are we seeking that presence daily? Um, He is with us. But how easy it is to 
lose sight of that and stop seeking. Uh, Over this past year, how has God revealed himself to you? How have you encountered his presence in everyday life? Uh, And is that enough? Is that enough for you? I hope not. I hope as God gives us a, a, a taste of himself, it gives us a longing to hunger for more and more. Um, so they, they seek the Savior. They have this divine encounter. And through all this, the shepherds now have an incredible story to tell, right? And they do. Uh, it says, and when they saw, it, uh, saw it, Jesus, they saw him in the, in the, in the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered wondered at what the shepherds told them. Uh, great picture of how this works. They are evangelized by the angel who tells them the good news. They, by faith, receive that message and they act on it. They seek the Savior. They seek God. And through that, their encounter with God is even greater. And it's confirmed. And now they have their own gospel message to proclaim. And they do. And they proclaim all that the angel said and all that was told them and all that they had seen and heard. And so these guys who honestly probably don't have a lot of the theology of this all worked out, right? If somebody were to question them and say, well, in what way do you see Jesus being the Messiah? And what scripture do you see him fulfilling as king? I'm sure the shepherds would have been like, uh... I don't know. He just it was just like a bright light. And it was like, wow. <laughs> like, that was it, you know. They weren't theologians. Uh, and, and it's not likely that they could have, you know, gone to a lot of Scripture and explained all this. But that didn't matter. They had an experience with God and a personal encounter with Him that they gladly bore witness to. Right? And, and, uh, and that's how it should be for us. Of course, chances are most of us do have a lot of the theology and we can share at greater depths who Jesus is. But every person, when they first come to Christ, no matter how much they know, one thing they do know is that God met them. And they can share that story. And um, I love the response. And, and they, they share it to Mary and Joseph, but apparently other people were around because it, it says they shared it with everyone. Now, we don't know if they like, went through the city, like like some crazy people telling everybody they accosted on the street, hey, we just saw an angel and the Savior and a baby in a manger. And, you know, we don't know who all they told, but they told more than just Mary and Joseph. And it says that the people were astonished at their words. Um, In this account, in fact, in the whole first two chapters of Luke, these are the only people who hear the, the word and don't respond in worship. It says they're astonished. It doesn't say they praise God. Um, So we don't really know what they're astonished about. I kind of think they're astonished that they're like, so let me get this right. You guys are shepherds, and you saw angels, right? I think that's what they were most astonished about. Um, uh, Maybe astonished about this baby in a manger. Um, They didn't respond in faith, right? They they didn't have enough of the story. um, But... Nonetheless, they were astonished. And that's the great thing about our witness, our story. Um, You can't debate what you have experienced, right? And that's why a testimony is so powerful. Because people can't argue with it. They can't say, well, in my religion, blah, blah, blah. 
All they can say is, that's what you experienced, right? So our witness is a powerful thing. And we should have a story to tell. If we are encountering Christ and if He's revealing His good news to us continually, we have stories to tell. We have something to bear witness to beyond just our theology, which we should share. But we should be sharing what God is doing in our life, right? As He reveals Himself to us and as we encounter Him. That is our witness. It was the witness of the shepherds. Um, but in addition to the shepherds, Mary also responds. And her response also is revealing. It says in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these, thing, all these things, pondering them in her heart. Uh, Mary has received more revelation in, in, in these first two chapters than any other person in this story. Right? Uh, she, she also has seen an angel. Uh, she has received a prophetic word from God, which she, she spoke to Elizabeth, right? Uh, full of revelation about who Jesus would be. Uh, it's very likely that she also would have uh, received the word of Zechariah's prophecy because it also related directly to who Jesus was. Um, of course, she experienced, you know, the virgin conception firsthand, right? She, she knew that she was pregnant and had this child supernaturally. Where others may have had doubt, there was no doubt in her mind because she knew, right? This was a work of God. And then she gave birth to this child, and here she sees this precious baby, her child, who she knows is absolutely unique, who is sent from God for an incredible purpose and mission. And all this truth, right, is, is floating around in her head. And now these crazy shepherds show up, and they're all excited and hyper and bouncing off the walls about some angels and hosts of heaven and more truth about this Savior, Messiah, King, who would bring peace to earth, right? Uh, but much like the shepherds, she still does not have this all figured out, Right? It says that she treasures these, she stores these things up in her heart and she ponders them. Uh, unlike the shepherds who, and, I, and I, may, I may be a bit unfair to the shepherds, but the shepherds may not have gone real deep with all this. Uh, maybe they did later, had lots of time to think, taking care of the sheep. But at this point, they're just having this encounter, this experience. Mary, on the other hand, gives great thought and reflection to what, all this must mean. And that's, that's the, the significance of these, these terms. She stores them up in her heart. In other words, she thinks about them a lot. And she ponders. She is meditating and contemplating the depths of these words. Um, one, one of the, I think one of the greatest um, errors that the, that the church makes today is that we have kept the gospel far too shallow and superficial. Because we know the main points of what it is. Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He grew up. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. He died, rose again, and has ascended to heaven. That's the gospel. And, and it's the whole gospel. It's, it's the truth. And it is what saves us. But do we daily ponder the depths of what that means, right? Do we really take the time and effort to think deeply about the incredible significance of those truths? 
I don't think anyone has ever lived that has got to the bottom of the truth of the gospel. And in fact, I think when we go to heaven, we will spend eternity contemplating the incredible significance of what Jesus has done for us. Um, We far too easily make it much too shallow. It is simple, but it is not simplistic, right? And it's something that we will never get to the bottom of on this earth. And Luke holds Mary up here as an example for us that we ought to be thinking deeply about what this all means, right? We should be pondering not only this story, but all of Scripture, unveiling and uncovering the depths of these truths. And so Mary does. And uh, as we go through the Gospels, we see her on more than one occasion still pondering, still confused, right? And it's still as much a mystery to her. Uh, Probably the same is true for us. The more I learn about Scripture, uh, the more mystery there is to it, right? The more there is to think about and ponder and contemplate. Um, well, finally, the, the story ends, and, and suddenly, uh, well, let, let, me, let me cap two verses, verse 13 and then the end, verse 20. Uh, because as Mary ponders, the angels and the shepherds praise. Verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Right, And then in verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, Worship is our response to what God reveals about himself as we encounter his presence. Um, Worship doesn't really precede that. Worship is something that happens when, when we have met God and we are just blown away by him. And we can't help but respond with praise. And I love, I love the contrast of these two groups, first the angels and then the shepherds. The angels actually, this whole story has nothing to do with them, right? They are only spectators. The only way that they participate in this whole story is that every once in a while they get to be a messenger. They get to be God's email, <laughs> Right, uh, That's their only part. But they stand in awe at what God is doing as he saves us. They're, they are blown away that God would do this because they know what a mess humanity has made of the world and how we have shipwrecked our lives through sin and rebellion against God. And they see the God Most High responding to the rebellion and sinfulness of wicked humanity by sending His only Son to die for them. And all they can say is, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on those with whom God is pleased. Right? For all eternity, the, the angels, it says in Ephesians, the heavenly uh, beings will, um, will worship God and stand in awe of his salvation of us. But for the shepherds, it's much more personal because they know their own need and, uh, and they've had their own encounter and experience with God and they can leave only glorifying and praising God, worshiping him for everything they've seen and heard. Right? Um, 
as we close off this year and look at a new year, it is good to um, kind of look in the rearview mirror and, and, and take stock of what God's done in our life this past year. And let me just leave with these, these questions. So think about um, you know, what it means, what God's done in this past year, but also what it, it means for you in the year to come. How has God been speaking the good news to you, and how are you acting on it? Right? How is God continuing to reveal the good news to you? Secondly, um, as God is revealing himself to you, what are the stories you have to tell? And are you faithfully bearing witness to his work in your life? Thirdly, how are you contemplating the deeper truths of the gospel? And lastly, uh, what do you have to praise God? and thank God for. Uh, Maybe like the angels, it's not so much celebrating your own salvation, but maybe you are seeing God move in the lives around you. Are you praising God for that? Likewise, as God works in your own life, um, are you responding to all that God is doing and, and, and as you encounter Him in genuine, heartfelt You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Worship and praise. Let's pray.